I want you guys to give a big welcome to Rob from uh, Freedom Church. He is like, yeah. Rob is a legit dude. I've only, I've spoke to him maybe three times, but I can tell you he loves, he genuinely loves people and he loves the gospel. And uh, I know that he's going to really just tell you what the gospel's all about. So thank you, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Let me grab my water. I forgot it. Man, I feel cool already. I've been called legit. This is, this is a good start, right? It's a real blessing to be with you guys this morning. Um, I've appreciated getting to know uh, Dustin, too. We got to hang out a little while when you guys barred our baptismal. You guys remember that? Isn't that thing cool? Yeah, we, we, we meet in a school, too. Um, man, I'm jealous of you guys, though, because you have a sweet auditorium. We meet in a gym with, like, hoops, and we have to set chairs up, and so um, I'm, I'm a little, I'm coveting your, your facility right now, but uh, it's great to be with you guys, um, and uh, it's just been a great thing to get to partner with uh, the Garden. Um, I work with another pastor, his name is Mike, and we also meet with Pastor Joel and some other pastors from around the city about once a month to pray, and we really pray, and um, I've had a great Great time getting to know Joel and um, pray with him and, and pray for you guys. So, you know, I was excited when he asked me to come share with you all. So, I'm just looking forward to it. I have a PowerPoint. I don't know if it's going to come up or not. But uh, if it doesn't, it's no big deal. Is that going to work? You think so? Okay. Well, cool. Um, uh, just wanted to say, too, just how, how, uh, how, how old is the garden? When did you guys start? Four years? Cool. So we're almost three years old as well, and so we're right with you guys, all right? <laughs> all the joy, all the ups and downs of church planning. Some of you that have been here from the beginning, we used to have a phrase when stuff would go wrong, it's church planning, you know? And that started happening throughout the church. Everybody, something would happen, you know? You'd be like, it's church planning, Pastor Rob. It's no big deal, right? And so we're with it, and we, I'm with you. So I know, I know what it's like. Um, like I said, we're in year three, and, um, and um, we're trying to reach our city just like you guys, and so... It's just, it's just a blessing to be with you guys. I brought my wife with me, too, and our, my four kids and my, my daughter's friend. And so, can you guys wave? Yeah, so we, we, we're glad to be with you guys. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for this morning. Thank you that you love us and that you're with us. And um, we get to call you Lord, as we just sang about. And uh, we get to meet with you, Lord. And, and what a privilege that is, and what a blessing that is. And, and sometimes, God, there's a routine that happens in church and we kind of get in this rhythm, and we repeat. And, but, if we, but God, as, as we think about our lives, the things that we love the most, we repeat, Lord. And we tell our kids that we love them. We, we eat good meals. If we, we find a place that we like to eat, we go there again. If we find a place that has good coffee or whatever, we go there again. And, and we enjoy the same things over. And so, God, once again, we've come just to enjoy you again, to meet with you, to hear from you. And God, I thank you for the Garden Church. And I thank you for Pastor Joel and his family and the leaders here the other men and women of God that you sent here to plant this church. And I just pray, Father God, that you would just do a mighty work here, Father. I just pray for the neighborhood, God. I know Dustin just mentioned that there were four shootings uh, this week. God, we pray for your peace in this community. We pray, Father God, just that, that you would just shine a huge spotlight on your son here as the garden and as other gospel-centered churches in the region, in the area, seek to lift up Jesus, Father. We pray you do a mighty work. God, we need each other in this city. 
as churches. No, no one church can reach Baltimore alone. And God, I, I just thank you that even by, by Pastor Joel inviting me here this morning, there's a connection that happens. There's a, there's a relationship that gets formed. There's a, a uniting of the hands, Lord God, that happens with, with churches, Father. And so um, we, we just thank you for that, God. And, and give us a sense this morning that, that we're in it together, that we're not alone. And I ask Holy Spirit that um, you would do a work and that you would speak to each one of our hearts as we look into Scripture. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. This morning we're going to look at one verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And So if you have a Bible, you can open to that. I'll also have it on the screen. And the title for the sermon is God Ain't Through With You Yet. Amen? God is not done with you yet. And this is a very simple text, but with profound implications for our lives. And, and so as we get into it, we're going we to look at this one verse. And this verse was written to a church in a city, okay, to the church in Philippi. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was in a, in a new church, a lot like the garden. And, and again, it was written to an urban church, um, church plant, a lot like the garden, a new church, and, and in, a, in a city like Baltimore. And, and, and it was written by a church planter, a pastor, a lot like Pastor Joel. And so here's Paul, he's writing to this church in Philippi, he's writing to encourage them. And, 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 and so we're, we're going to look into that. But before we get to, this, to, to what he said, um, a lot of things had already happened to kind of lead us up to this point. And, and so, just, just taking a second, when you open the Bible and you just open to page one, you open to the book of Genesis and you learn about how God created everything. And you learn about Adam and Eve and, and how the very first family was a dysfunctional family and how one of their sons killed the other son. So it was a, it was a homicide in the very first family in the Bible. And you hear the story about Noah. And so it's, it's a crazy first 11 chapters. And then you come to chapter 12 in Genesis and you hear about Abraham. And Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago, and, and God, God initiated a relationship with Abraham, and through Abraham, um, we, God blessed him, and through his descendants, there was this, this group of people called the people of Israel, and you can read about them in the Old Testament. 2,000 years of history, okay, all, all, all kinds of stories, many stories that you're familiar with. Then we come into the New Testament about 2,000 years ago, and you can read about how Jesus was born, and how he lived a perfect life, and how he died for sin, and how he rose from the dead. And, and after that, ascended back into heaven. And then, as Jesus is, 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 is about to ascend into heaven, he tells his disciples, look, you guys need to wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, and the church starts. So if you kind of just take a big picture, you can think about God at work on the earth through the prophets, through Moses, through Abraham, etc. And then you think Jesus was on the earth for about 30-some years, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and the church gets started. And you can read about how the church gets started in the book of Acts. And there was a man in the book of Acts named Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He hated Christians. He actually participated in the murder of some Christians. And he gets saved. And several years later, he becomes a missionary, and he starts planting churches. And just like Pastor Joel came here to plant the garden, and just like we're planting Freedom Church up in northeast Baltimore, and, and that's what he does. And, and so Paul and Timothy, uh, they were going to go somewhere else, and they get this vision from God to go to Macedonia. Macedonia is kind of a region like Maryland, like a state, and they go to a city, Philippi, like Baltimore, right? city within a state. And they go there, and they're walking around, and they find this Bible study. <laughs> and it was this women's Bible study. Amen, women. Right? And they meet, they're there, and there's a woman named Lydia. Okay? Lydia was a businesswoman. She sold purple fabric. Lydia would be like a corner store owner, owner. You know what I'm saying? 
So, so Lydia is this, this business owner. She's this corner store owner, you know. She's got these women together. And Paul goes and Paul explains to them the full gospel. They had parts of it. They had parts of the teachings from the Old Testament. They didn't know all about Jesus. And they get saved and they get baptized. And while they're hanging out and they keep doing this, Bible study starts to gather, starts to, starts to build. There was this kind of a, we would maybe say mentally ill, little crazy slave girl. So she was owned by some men. And she starts following Paul around. You can read about this in Acts 16. She starts yelling at them, These men are servants of the Most High. So when you live in the city, right, some of you have grown up in Baltimore, some of you have moved here, you just start to see crazy stuff, right? Anybody relate to that? Like you're like driving, you just see crazy stuff. You're like, people doing stuff. This is like one of those scenes, you know? It's like one of those scenes, like, yo, you're not going to believe what I saw today. This is like that. So it's one of these crazy scenes. And Paul, finally Paul gets annoyed and he casts the demon out of this girl. And then she, come, she, she starts following Jesus. And the, the, the sla- the, the owner, her owners get mad, like her pimps basically. They get mad because they're losing money from, she was making money. So they get mad. So they tell the authorities, this is all in the Bible, Acts chapter 16. And they tell the authorities and, they get, and, and the authorities lock up Paul and Timothy. Now Paul and Timothy are chilling in jail, singing hymns, worshiping God. There's this great earthquake, and all their chains come loose, okay? They stand up, and they're, they're kind of looking around, and they realize they're, the jailer, the CO, right, correctional officer, is about to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped, and I'm going to, like, get worse than this, so I might as well just fall on my sword and die. And Paul, Paul doesn't say, hey, let's wait for this guy to kill himself so we can dip, right? Paul says, wait, wait, don't, don't do it. Don't kill you. We're all here. Don't kill yourself. And the Philippian jailer, the CO of the, Philippian, the jail in Philippi, comes to Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? Come to my house. And Paul goes and he shares the gospel and it says his whole family got saved. All his wife's kids, everybody. This is the church in Philippi. It's kind of a crazy church, huh? <laughs> you got a corner store owner. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> kind of a former mentally ill girl, slave girl. You got a CO. This is the church, and Paul loves this church. Later, Paul ends up having to leave, and he gets into some other trouble because Paul always seemed to be getting arrested for sharing the gospel. He's in prison. He's either under house arrest or in kind of a worse situation, but either way, he's stuck, and he writes a letter to this church that he loves, to this church that he saw get planted, to these people that he has in, in his mind, and he loves them, and he wants to encourage them, and so he writes this letter to them, and that's what the book of Philippians is about. And so... I want us to just read a few verses here. I have some up here. Philippians 3. Just kind of read the context. We're really going to get into one verse, verse 6. But let's start in verse 3. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. All my remembrance. He's remembering all the stories. The Bible study by the river. The jail thing. The girl. All that. Always in in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, that's why I'm thankful. Because we have a partnership in the gospel. Verse 6. And then he says this. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense of and confirmation of the gospel. The issue that Paul is going to answer in verse 6 
And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The issue that he's going to get into, okay, kind of the question that he's, he's going to try to answer and that we're going to try to get into this morning is, how can, how, can, how can we know we're going to make it as a Christian when we feel like giving up? How can we know that we're going we're gonna to be able to keep following Christ? Some of you might, you might be here this morning like, you're just on a thread of faith. Maybe you're just here because somebody else dragged you here. You didn't even want to come, right? The issue that Paul's trying to get, gonna get at, we're going to get into this verse is, how can I know if I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, I don't know if I'm going to make it as a Christian. Like, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. I'm discouraged. I feel like giving up. How am I going to make it? How am I going to make it? How do I know if I, if I can continue on? And the answer to that question is this. Your faith is not up to you. Salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. So the subject that, again, is, is this encouragement that we can receive from knowing that our salvation from beginning to end is not and has never been dependent on us. It's not dependent upon our faith. It's not dependent upon our, our, our church attendance or our Bible reading or how much you read the Bible this week or how you're feeling right? If you feel close to God or you feel far from God. Ultimately, it's dependent on God himself. And so I came here to tell you this morning that God promises that he will complete what he has begun in you. That's the promise that we see in this text this morning. It's crazy encouraging. And so I just, this is just a one-point sermon, okay? One-point sermon. The point is this. Salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. Salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. And we can have great hope because the God who began a work in our lives will finish it. And so Paul basically, I'm going to break this into three things. Paul basically says three things to the church in Philippi. We can apply these things to our lives as well. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of make some applications to our own lives too at the end. But the first one is this. God began a work in you. God began a work in you. He's writing to the church in, in Philippi. He's like, look guys, be encouraged because God began this work in you. Remember that crazy story? The Bible study and all this stuff that God did. God's done this work in you. And, and, and so, um, one, of, one of the ways we can kind of just, I just kind of have a couple points underneath this point. First point is this. God's work is His work to save people. God's work is His work to save people. When we talk about work, what are we talking about? What is the work, right? Philippians 1.6 says that He began a good work in you. How do, how do we define that? What does it mean? What, what, is he, what, what is He talking about when He says to the church, in Philippi, hey, God's done a good work in you. Or, or what, what about when someone says something to you like, God's really changed my life, right? What does that mean? Or maybe you have a friend or you have someone that's, that, that's invited you to the, to the garden, right? And invited you to come learn about Jesus and they've said to you something like, man, God's really changed my life. You need to come hear about Jesus. Like, what does that mean, right? What does it mean for God to do a work in us? Um, what, does that, what does that look like? The work that God does is the work of saving people. It's, it's the word salvation. You guys heard that word before? Right? We've all heard that before, right? Salvation is, is a word that Scripture uses to communicate what God has done in someone's life. Um, God at work saving people. If you have to sum up the whole Bible from beginning to end in three words, you could sum it up like this. This is a freebie, all right? From my Bible college days. God saves sinners. That's how you could sum up the whole Bible. The Bible is a bunch of stories about messed up people who met God and God changed their life. Sometimes you look at a Bible and it says Holy Bible on it, right? And some, some people think the Bible is a book for people that decide, I want to be holy. And so if you want to be holy, 
You need to read the Bible because the Bible's just a bunch of stories of holy people. It's like the opposite, though. Like every jacked up Jerry Springer, you know what I'm saying, type of story you can imagine is in the Bible. And these people that would be on talk shows today at like three in the afternoon when nobody has job working watches those things, right? But like, like they would be on those shows and God takes those people's lives and he changes them. That's what the Bible's about. If you've never read the Bible, I would encourage you to read it and read about the, the crazy people, uh, the messed up people, the jacked up people like you and I that God has changed. That's what the Bible's about. God saves sinners. So when we talk about God doing a work in someone, we're not necessarily talking, we're, we're talking about salvation, God saving them. And so, question that we can ask is, what does it look like when God does a work in someone's life? What does it look like? And some of us, I, I'm sure if we had an open mic here, and we allowed you to come up and share your story, we, we would hear incredible stories, one after the other, of what God has done in your life. But for those of you that are here this morning, like, I don't know if I know what that means, or maybe we just need to remember what that means. Here's a couple of thoughts on that. Right? The first thing is this. You begin to realize that you need God. Okay? When God does a work in someone li- someone's life, it looks different in different ways, but the one thing that is consistent is that the person begins to realize, man, I need God. And this can look a lot of different ways. Sometimes it, it, this happens when things get really hard in life, right? When everything's falling apart. When everything you've tried to do, it doesn't work when your relationships are failing, when your job situation is failing, maybe you're, maybe you're failing out of school, right? And you get to that low place and you go, I need God. That can happen. That can be kind of the trigger for someone on this path. Remember, we're talking about this path. We're talking about this question. What does it look like when God does a work in someone's life? Another way that, that is common is that sometimes everything's fine, right? Everything's good. Like, things are good at work. Things are good at home but there's a deep emptiness that you feel. You feel like this isn't enough. Like, I thought if I got this, I thought if I graduated, if I got a husband or wife, we had kids, we got our place, whatever it is, right, whatever that next thing. How many of you know we always have a next thing, right? That next thing that you're like thinking right now, if I just got a new car, I'd be happy. If I just got a new job, if I just graduated, if I got a husband, right? There's always the next thing. You get that next thing and you realize, this still isn't enough for me. Sometimes people come to God and it's not even that their life's falling apart. It's just that they realize that everything that they've been living for is empty. But somewhere in the midst of all this, in the midst of realizing that we need God, we also realize that we're messed up, that we're sinners, that there's things that we do in our life that we wish we didn't do, that we've maybe tried to change, but we can't change. We're slaves to sin. We're, we're slaves to sin. We're stuck. We begin to see that it's more than just, I kind of want some meaning for my life, like, building wells in Africa or serving the... It's more than that, but is there something wrong with me? There's something messed up about me. That there's things that I've done that I wish I never did because I hurt people. That's called sin. Right? And, and we all know that sin is real. Let me ask the kids for a second. What are these? Keys, right? What do keys do? Okay, open what? Locks, Right? And why do we need locks? Huh? Because people are going to come in, right? People are going to break in your house. Right? If, if there was no sin, we wouldn't need keys. Right? We wouldn't have locks. We wouldn't need it. But we know, we know there's sin in the world. We know people sin. It's not just that 
uh, there is sin. It's not just that we're sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. We're born into sin. And, and there's something that is, is, is very central about sin, and that is this. Sin deserves punishment. Last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, was it, it was last week, I took my kids camping. <coughs> Anybody camp? Here, you guys like camping? Anybody? Nobody? All right. Like, we're from the city, man. We don't do that. I've been camping in like 15 years, but we took our kids camping, and when we came back, my, my, my car was parked in, you know, on the street, had a big old dent in the side of the bumper. Somebody hit it. <clears throat> now, thankfully, the person put a note on there. Wasn't that cool? Like, hey, I hit your car. Call me. I'll fix it. But y'all know how it would have been if there was no note on there, right? <laughs> I would have felt wrong. Would you feel wrong? You come in your car and someone hit it, hit and run. Someone's like, yeah, that happened to me this week, so there was no note, right? That's what normally happens. But you'd feel wrong. In other words, when, when someone does something wrong, when there's sin, sin deserves punishment. We all understand that. We, already, we all know that. Nobody, nobody just sins against you. Nobody hits your car and you're like, that's no big deal. We don't respond that way. Sin deserves punishment. And so we begin to realize that we need God, the first thing. And then we begin to realize that we're sinners and that this sin is a problem. And the second thing that happens when, when God does a work in someone's life is we begin to learn about God. We begin to learn about who He is and what He's done. And the main thing that He has done for us is that He sent His Son, Jesus, um, to, 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 to die in our place for our sins. See, sin deserves punishment, and instead of us receiving the punishment, Jesus came to take the punishment on. When someone said, says God loves you, right? Lots of people say that. Oprah says that. That doesn't really mean anything unless you define that. How do I know God loves me? Who is God? <laughs> what is love, right? When we say God loves you from Scripture, we're saying God loves you and God demonstrated his own love for you by sending Jesus to die for you. While, we, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you, Romans 5.8. When we say, when we talk about biblical love, it has something that has to do rooted in history. Sometimes you feel like God doesn't love you, but you're just basing that off your feelings. We're saying base, base knowing God loves you on fact. Jesus really lived, and he really died for you. That's the main thing that God has done for you. And he sent his son to live the life that you couldn't live and to die the death that you deserved in your place. And so we begin to learn about God. We learn about that we need God. We learn about, okay, this is what it means to kind of know Jesus. And then we've got to respond to him. We've got to turn from our sin. We use the word repentance, right? Repentance is, is turning from one thing to another. And a big part of sin, sometimes we think about sin as just breaking the rules, right, or, 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 or rebelling against God's ways and his laws, and that's part of sin. But another big part of sin is making anything other than God your main purpose for life, your main purpose for living, right? And that, that's really the first commandment, you shall have no other God before me. Martin Luther, who was, a reform, who was one of the reformers, talked about how the, the first commandment and the, and the Ten Commandments is the greatest of all of them, and that everything else is based on that. And we begin to turn from making other things our God, and we make the real God and true God our God. We repent and we believe. We believe by faith um, what God has done for us. Faith is more than just believing something is true, but it's actually acting on it. Like, I, I knew for a while that the garden really existed, right? <laughs> but I'd never seen you guys. Like, I actually, I, 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 got some, I got an email this week from Pastor Joel. Hey, here's the address. I had to go on faith that you guys were actually really here. Right? I didn't know for sure, right? I got some information, and then I acted on it. 
Got everybody ready. Everybody was late. I was late here. I was kind of stressing out some of the, the leaders and team because I was like right on like 10, 25. I was here earlier. I had to get all my kids out, right? Get in the van, drive over here. You know what I mean? Turn around the corner, find it. I was exercising faith. Faith isn't just believing something exists, but faith is actually acting on that, coming down here. The garden's really here. I get to come worship with you guys and experience worship together, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act on that, and I'm going to come down here. That's the same way with God. You can't just be- Lots of people believe God. Yeah, I believe God exists, but they don't have any faith, and so it's useless. It's worthless. Even Satan believes in God. You guys know that, right? <laughs> It's not enough to believe in God. You have to actually put your faith in what he's done for you. That means you have to stop trying to earn your own way to heaven. You have to let God love you. Some, of you. some of us, that's our problem. We don't let God love us. We haven't let God in. We haven't rested in his love and acceptance for us and for what he's done for us on the cross. So if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you this morning to respond to this gospel. That's the word gospel just means good news, and that's what we're talking about this morning. What God has done for you in Christ you can respond and you can come and you can put your faith in Jesus and turn from sin. And for those of you who are believers, I want to encourage you to keep embracing this truth that this is what God is doing in you. He's at work, which leads us to the second thing that we see in this text. God's work of saving people begins with him. Um, the second thing that we see kind of under this first subpoint, God's work of saving people begins with him. Right, you see that really clearly. He who began a good work, this is really important, We've learned about the work a little bit, um, that God's work is saving people, that that's what he's about, but, and, and we've learned a little bit about how does that look, but, but a great question to ask, like, how does that start, right? How, do you, how does it start, how does it begin that God would do a work in someone's life? And we see here real clearly that God is the one who begins this. God's the one who starts this. And sometimes people get upset about this because this leads into a lot of theological debate, Right? around the doctrine of election, and do, do we choose God, or does God choose us? But the Bible's really clear that God does that. And so, sometimes we get upset about this, but I just want you to think about something for a second. Imagine, um, imagine if <coughs> I came to your house tonight, okay? You look out the door, you're like, I think that's that guy that preached at the garden this morning. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm at your house, you know, and I'm, it's like nine o'clock, you know? And you're like, what's this guy want? I mean, I guess he's all right because he's at church. So you kind of creak the door open. And, you're, and you're, I'm like, hey, um, I, I'm, I'm Rob. I was here this morning at church. I just, wanted you, I just want you to know I've thought really hard about this. But I've made a decision, and I'm choosing now that I'm going to come live with you. I made the decision. Right? It begins with me. I've, cho- I've thought about this long and hard. So if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go see what room I'd like, what bed. Then I'm going to see what kind of snacks you guys have, because I'm, I'm a little hungry, you know what I mean? Look in your fridge. Maybe you can make something for me. But I made the decision to come live with you. It doesn't make any sense, right? And sometimes when it comes to this issue of does God, does God choose us or do we choose him, we, we, we just like lose our minds. We get all upset. I don't, we don't like the idea of God choosing. <clears throat> we don't like it being up to God. But yet, y- 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 you don't want anybody coming up in your apartment or your dorm if it's not up to you, right? <laughs> See, there's three options. Either we choose God, which that doesn't make sense, or Satan chooses who gets to go with God, and that doesn't make sense because Satan's kind of trying to get people on his team, or God chooses. Everything begins with God. We don't need to get upset about this. We need to embrace this. And if you just look in Scripture, that's true throughout everything. God begins everything. (laughs) 
God's the one who, who created us. God's the one who started, you know, he, he, he's the one who, who spoke creation into existence. God's the one who began and, and, initi- and initiated a relationship with Abraham. God's the one who spoke to Moses, right? God begins everything, and God has begun a work in your life, and God began a work in the lives of those who are in the church of Philippi. We need, we need, to, we need to just accept this deal. But, but sometimes we struggle with this because it's like, well, what does this mean for us? <laughs> You know, what does it mean to know that God has begun everything? Let me tell you one thing it doesn't mean. To know that God begins, that begins this relationship, to know that God is the one who chooses those who are His, that doesn't mean we don't participate in this process. That doesn't mean that we're not involved, that we don't participate. I want you to think of it like this. Um, my kids are under my, are under my rule. I like to say that. All right? You guys know what I mean. They're in my house. Okay? Everything they experience is a result of my grace. Now, there are many things that they experience that they kind of think they're choosing, right? When I put a meal in front of them, they have to choose if they're going to eat it or not, right? But who's the one who worked to earn the money for that meal? Me, right? Who's the one who went and got the food? Well, my wife, all right, so my wife's involved. Who's the one who cooked it, right? We did that, right? When my, when my kids play sports, or they, they also do... Uh, my daughters do uh, cello and violin at, at uh, Twigs, Baltimore School for the Arts. Like, we go to them and we say, hey, um, do you guys want to do music this year? Do you want to do sports, right? They think they're choosing that, but who's allowing them to choose that, right? Do you guys get what I'm saying? Who's setting up life in such a way that they even get to choose that? Really, it's my choice. I'm the one who gets to choose whether they're going to play soccer or not, because I'm the one going to drive them there, pay the money, get the t-shirt, you know what I mean? Do the whole deal. Get the cleats, get the shin guards, all that. That's kind of the same way. We get to participate with God. And and, and another thing it means is this. In the context that he's writing to the church of Philippi, he's writing to believers, and he's writing to encourage them. Sometimes people trip up on this because they think about it from the perspective of a non-Christian. They think of it as like, well, how do I know if I'm chosen or not? The Bible never deals with that. Because the doctrine of election, the doctrine of God choosing those who are his, is always presented to believers to encourage you. For, for those of us who don't know Jesus, there's an invitation to come to Jesus. Amen? There's no question like, how do I know? No. God's reaching out to you. He's inviting you into himself. All you've got to do is respond. <laughs> right? God's the one who's saying, do you want to play soccer this, this, right? <laughs> this year? You want to eat this food? Now participate. Come eat. Right? <clears throat> go, go out. Run. Kick the ball. Come join. Come join in on what I'm doing for you. But we can have incredible encouragement as believers because we know this, God always starts what he finishes. This is so encouraging. And by the way, those of you kids that are growing up in Christian homes, you need to know this too. Your faith is not dependent upon your parents. Your parents didn't give you that faith. Your parents are merely instructors. They're telling you about Jesus. But the faith that you have is also from God. God begins it. And so you need to be encouraged by that. God is the one who begins this work. Second thing that we see in this text is that God continues his work in you. Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. He's saying, God began the work, and God's going to continue the work. God is going to continue this work. Once we begin to follow Jesus, he isn't done with us. He's still work at work in us. And and, and in in this verse, it says that he will bring it to completion. It's a future tense there in the verb. He's going to complete this. He's going to accomplish this. He's going to do it. He starts it, and he finishes it. Don't be discouraged. This work that's happening in you right now, Philippians, right, he's saying, 
Right? God's going to keep doing that. And it kind of makes sense that we think about this a lot and, and as believers, this is, because this is kind of where we live. Right? If we're Christians, we know God started a work in us, whatever our story is, but we're waiting to be completed, but we're in that middle, middle ground, right? This is kind of where we live, that continuing work that God is doing in us. Right? We kind of sit here in the middle, and one of the things that I've noticed in my own life as well as in other believers' lives is there's different kind of problems and, and kind of roadblocks that can come up while we're in the middle, okay? While we're in the middle time. One is that... <coughs> Sometimes what can happen is, is that we know that God has saved us and he started the work, but we start to think it's up to us to finish the work. Okay? So we're saved by grace, but we're made right with God or sanctified through our own works. And some of you can relate to this where you've experienced your faith like up and down, right? Where, where you, may be, you may be just kind of hit autopilot for a while, and you're not really walking with the Lord, and then you hear a sermon or you meet someone that's a Christian, you get all inspired, right? And you're like, now I'm going to really follow Jesus. I'm going to get up every morning at 4 a.m., pray for two hours. I'm going to memorize the whole Bible, right? Anybody like that? And like, heart, like, like that, I'm kind of like that. I'm kind of extreme, so I like, if I feel, and you know that's you, by the way, if you're feeling convicted right now, or if you're like, I really want to get back into Jesus, and you're not really even listening to me, instead what you're doing is you're planning your next plan. You're like, yeah, I'm going to read that book when I get home, and I'm going to have this new plan. I'm going to get a bigger alarm clock that's louder, that can wake me up. See, what you're doing now is you're not resting in the truth that God's going to complete what he's begun in you. You're starting to like, you're just thinking about your plan, how you're going to complete. God, thanks for starting this, but I got this from here. By the way, this is really hard for all of us because everything else that we accomplish in life, we kind of accomplish, right? I mean, not really, but let's just for the sake. Like if you're like, I want to learn this, I want to go to school, you go on school, you apply, get accepted to college, you pay for it, you go learn it, right? Some of you like have your own house or whatever, you do DIY projects, you're like, I'm going to learn how to install a toilet. So you get on, you know, YouTube and you look it up, right? And you're like, I accomplished it, you know, and after like six trips to Home Depot and uh, you finally get the toilet in, you know, and you, so, but the, the Christian life isn't like that though, guys. It's not up to you alone not up to you alone. God is going to complete this work. God's called you to rest in him, to keep working. But, but, but on the other extreme, sometimes what I see in, 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 in our lives is, and some of you maybe relate to this, is just kind of this, like a passive resting. Like, I got saved when I was 12, and I got baptized, and I'm just waiting to go to heaven. Almost like you're already in heaven, like there's no other work to do. And you, like, like there's nothing else, there's no other sin you got to repent of. Like, there's nothing else that you need to trust God with. Like, you're just kind of waiting. So you kind of did your Christian thing, and you got baptized and joined the church, but now you're doing your, I'm going to get a house, or I'm going to get this degree, or I'm going to go back to school, or now I'm going to do this. See, I did my Christian thing, and I have that now, and now I'm going to do this because that's already done. Like, you already got that part. That's another, exam, that's another extreme mistake that we can make as we think about the truth that God continues His work in us. God's still doing that work. And, and if you have a Bible and you just want to look over to Philippians 2, 12, and verse 13, you'll see something here that he says to the church in Philippi. He says, look, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my ab absence, check out what he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Almost sounds like con a contradiction. 
Work out your own salvation because God's going to work it out in you. In other words, stop, don't rest. You're not in heaven yet. The work's still happening. God's not done with you. God still wants to keep changing you and molding you and shaping you. And so work out your own salvation, right? But God is the one who's working in you even as you do that. Another thing that can happen is, is that we can begin to despair. Um, because especially, I've seen this happen in, in new believers. Maybe you can relate to this. Come to Christ. Like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do this thing. And then um, you start to struggle. And you start to, like, I try. And then and you get to that place where you're like, I kind of tried to do the, the Christian thing, but I feel like it's not working. And you can be in a state of despair and, 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 de- and depression and almost like ready to give up. But listen, what I want to tell you is that you can Listen, there's nothing wrong with coming to that place. You can't live the Christian life on your own. You know that? One of the best things for some of you that are maybe in the first category where you're trying so hard is to really come to that place where you just go, I can't live the Christian life on my own. You know that you still are in a battle with sin, right? (laughs) You know you can't do this on your own. You need the Spirit. You need Scripture. You need one another. You can't do this on your own. You need to rest that God has promised to do this work in you. He's going to complete it. Last thing that we see is this. God will complete his work in you. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will do it. Now this is future stuff, and so sometimes it's hard for us. right? It's hard for us because, because we want stuff now, right? <laughs> right? We, we don't want to wait for anything. I don't like waiting. Anybody else hate why don't Anybody else? I hate waiting. You know, I'm in the grocery store, you ever in the line, and there's like three lines, and you're like counting back, you know what I mean? You're like, that, she looks like she's going to have a lot of coupons, so I'm not going in that line. You know what I mean? You're like, I got to get through the line. Like, we don't like to wait, right? We don't like to wait on God to finish this work. He's going to complete it. That's what this text says. And he's going to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. This is speaking about Jesus' second coming. Again, this is something that's hard for us, too, to believe that Jesus is going to come again. Sometimes we just think about heaven. We don't think about Jesus coming back. But Jesus already came once. And when he was here, he promised that he would return. And he would come back. And he would raise all those who are his and and have a resurrection body like he had when he rose. And that is when this full work will happen. There's a partial work that happens for those saints that have died and have gone on to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But that full completion, that full work is going to be done when Jesus returns. This is one this is going to happen. And you can be sure of this. Notice what verse 6, how it starts off. He says, and I am sure of this. I love that. He didn't have to add that in. He could have just like stated the verse, right? Without the I am sure part. And the tense of the verb, I am sure, is in the perfect tense, right? Which has this concept of a completed action with results in the present, Okay? So the action has been completed, right? He says, I'm sure. It's already been done, like it's already finished. And there's a, there's, there's, th- this finished work has results in the present. It has results now. So you need to be encouraged by this, is, is kind of like what he's saying. Paul is sure of this, right? You ever think about, sh- you ever think about that for a second? What, what are, like surety, like what are you really sure of? You know, like what's like, what are you really sure of? Like, what, what, what's really guaranteed? You know, up until this past season, all Oriole fans were pretty sure that we were not going to make the playoffs, right? 
I mean, we're pretty sure of that, you know. Thankfully, that's been broken. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord now. It's good. Um, you know, but when you think about, like, man, what am I really sure of? There's a lot of things we're not really sure of, right? I mean, we're not really sure. Like, are you sure you're going to be, you know? Like, we're, we're not even really sure we're going to make it home. Like, that's not guaranteed. Like, man, this is a depressing sermon. Thanks a lot, Joel, inviting this guy. But we're not really sure. Like, we're not, you're not sure you're going to keep your, you're going to have your job forever, right? You're not sure, parents, that your kids are going to, like, grow up and love Jesus and aren't going to rebel. You're not sure of that. There's a lot of things that we aren't sure of. Most things we're not sure of. But what Paul's saying here is this. One thing that you can be sure of is that the work that God has begun in you, he will bring it to completion. And that is incredible. God isn't like us. He always finishes what he starts. How many of you have half-read books like me? Right? Half-done projects? Some of you are half-committed to the garden. You're kind of in and out. You're half-committed to God, half-committed to Christ. Everything's half in with you. You got a job, but you're like looking for the next one. God isn't like that. God isn't like you. He isn't like me. What God starts, he finishes. So God begins this work, he continues this work, and he completes the work in us. A couple applications, and we're out of here. I'm done. Um, still not up? All right, no big deal. A couple applications. Um, one is this. So I, I, want to, I want us to think about the truth of this text. And the truth of this text is this. Because God began his work in us and will finish his work in us, and then I want to make some applications, okay? Because God began his work in us and will finish his work in us, first thing is this. We can persevere when we feel like giving up. We can persevere when we feel like giving up. Sometimes you get stuck in life, right? And there's a lot of examples of this. But maybe you're stuck in the sense that maybe you're in a job and you're like, I need more money to make this work, but I can't just quit because I don't have any money. And so you're trying to trust God, but you're looking at how much you make and you're looking at your bills and it doesn't match. And so you feel stuck or you feel frustrated. Right? Or maybe you're, <clears throat> maybe you're waiting for something to happen and you're stuck and you feel like giving up. Okay, We can, we can persevere when we feel like giving up. Because, because God began this work in us, and he will finish this work in us. We can have confidence in that. Another reason why um, we can persevere is this. We can persevere when we've experienced failure in life. Um, if, God, if you know that God's begun this work in you, and he's going to finish it, guess what? You're going to fail in the middle. I'm 34, okay? So I'm not that old, but I've lived long enough to fail, Okay? When I was in my 20s, I'm like, yeah, nothing can, I'm not going to fail in it, you know what I mean? Like, you couldn't stop me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on this. But I've lived long enough to fail. You're going to fail at some things. And when you fail, what do you do with that failure? <laughs> you go back to this verse. And you begin to have confidence again that, no, God began this work in me. He's going to complete this. But it's hard when we fail. Because we wonder, like, man, how did that happen? How did this marriage not go the way that I thought it was going to go? Right? How did I fail maybe at being a parent? I'm looking back and I'm like, I made a lot of mistakes. How did I fail at this job? I got fired. You know, <clears throat> um, Part of my story is um, there was a time where I, where I experienced some failure, lots of times, but I'll share you one. In 2002, I moved to Baltimore 
to Pigtown in Washington Village. Anybody know where that neighborhood is, Washington Boulevard? And I moved there. I lived there for three years, and uh, my desire was to go there and plant a church. And my wife and I moved in. We had two kids and moved into the block. Half the block was vacant, and we were like, let's go. Ah, you know, we're going to plant this church. And we were everywhere, and I was on the streets, and I was meeting everybody, and all this stuff was happening, and we did some projects, we saw some people get saved, and we were, I was in the schools, and I was all, doing all this stuff, but three years later, I was tired, and there was no church. <clears throat> and I had to realize that this wasn't working. <laughs> you ever get to that point? Where you go, some, this is not working. And, and it takes a lot of courage to look at something, even if there's some positives, but to, but to have the courage as, a, as you lead your own life, or maybe as you lead your family, to go, we need to change something. This isn't working. And I, I went to some other pastors and brothers that I respected, and they said, dude, you, you need some help. You're tired. You're not doing the best job with your wife and your kids, and you need to shut this down. And I shut it down. And we had a building that we were working on, and we had people involved, and, and I shut it down. And, uh, but in the midst of that, um, I was a part of Southern Baptist, just as, as the garden is connected also with, with the Baptist Convention and, and the Baltimore Baptist. Um, some of the leaders kind of got inspired because they saw kind of what I was doing, right, and some other church planters. And they decided, you know what, we need to try to get more church plants here in Baltimore. And so they approached some, so the larger network of churches, and they, they wanted to try to apply for Baltimore to become what they would call a strategic focus city where they would put some resources and focus on Baltimore. And they would bring more church planters here. And guess who one of those church planters was? Pastor Joel. <laughs> and so even though I tried to plant, right, and I, I failed, and I had to kind of go to another church and learn and grow, God still used that to spark something amongst other believers to try to bring more resources and put the word out and say, we want more church planters to come here. And one of those church planters was Pastor Joel. So I really, pla- I really planted the garden, so when Joel says, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I praise God that like, somehow God used that. You guys know that God's going to use your failures? You know that? Romans 8.28 says that God uses all things to work together for those who love him. But all things doesn't mean all good things. God can take your failures and your mistakes. Again, read the Bible. Peter denied Jesus. That's a pretty big failure. Right? That's like up there. I don't know Jesus. I don't like Jesus. Right? Right, right after he died. But Jesus restored him. Peter became one of the main leaders in the early church. I know we sit in a room full of failures. <coughs> we do. You guys are all failures. If you haven't failed yet, you will. But know this. God will use your failures. And know this. That God who began a good work in you, he's going to complete it. Because it's not up to you. It's not up to you whether, you know, how much, you, how much you've done or how much you haven't done. Another thing that, that we can kind of apply this, because God, is a, he's begun this work in us and he's going to bring it to completion, we can also persevere through the in-between times. I kind of shared that with you. But some of you are in that in-between times where you're waiting on something to happen. Maybe you're waiting to graduate or you're waiting you know, for a, to find a spouse, or you're, you're waiting for the garden to grow bigger, you're waiting for something to change, right? Anybody relate to that? And God's called you just to keep, you know, be persevere, be faithful, keep going. 
Remember back. Remember, God began this work. He's going to continue it. Another way we can apply this is we can be sure of our salvation even in some doubt. Sometimes when we fail, sometimes when we're in this middle ground and we start to doubt, we start to wonder, like, am I even saved? Like, am I even a Christian? Because sin's looking pretty good right now. And maybe you've, even, maybe you've even tasted some of that sin recently. And you're like, man, I, I can't go there. But you did. So now you're like, am I even saved? Think back. Remember back to what God has done in your life. All right? Remember back. Recall it. Um, one of the things that you see throughout the Old Testament is whenever God would show up and do something great, they would set up like an altar. They would set up a pile of stones. They would do something to remember what God has done. You should do that in your life. Remember what God has done. If you think back, you can make it through to the future. The last application is we can be extremely encouraged. We can be extremely encouraged by this verse. All right? You know what Paul, when he's writing them, he isn't necessarily saying, I'm encouraged about how much you're reading your Bible. I'm encouraged that you never missed a Sunday last year. Good job. You get a t-shirt. <laughs> right? He isn't saying that. You know why he's encouraged? He's encouraged by God's work in them. <clears throat> that God is at work in you. <clears throat> it's, not like you look, it's not like the Christian life is about going, yeah, I did really good last week. You know, I got up every day and I prayed for an hour. No. <laughs> if you got up every day and prayed for an hour, that's God's grace. That's what you got to do. That's like, a, that's like the icing on the cake, right? You don't think that. You think, no, I get to do this. No, I'm thankful that God is in my life. God is the one doing the work in me. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by the work God is doing. Not the work your church is doing, not all the stuff you're doing, but what God's doing in you. This is so encouraging. I don't know if there's a more encouraging passage for us as believers, because it clearly tells us two things. Number one, your, your, your salvation is not complete. God isn't through with you. He's still working on you. So when you sin and when you fall, don't trip, all right? <laughs> Repent and get back up and believe the gospel. In a minute, we're going to take communion. Sometimes what happens in communion is people feel like this. I've sinned this week. I I'm like, I don't feel real close to God, so I'm not going to come take communion. So what are you going to do? Wait till next week? So you've added some works to your life, right? The best thing you can do is repent of your sin and come take communion this morning if you're a believer, and trust in the finished work of Christ for your sin, not your own discipline, not your own work, not how you feel, I want to be a good Christian, right? Not that. Um, man, you're still in process. God is still at work in you. And the encouraging thing is this, God's going to complete it. God is going to do it. <laughs> and he's writing this verse to encourage them, and I hope that it's been an encouragement to you to kind of look at this. God isn't done with you yet. He's still at work in your life. Nobody's arrived. We're all in this process. You're still a work in, in progress. And for those of you um, who have not yet come to Jesus, we want to invite you to come to Jesus. It's not up to you. A lot of people think, I'm going to come to God when I've got my life together. Right? I hear that all the time. Pastor, I'm going to come through your church, man. Just, I just got to kind of get my stuff, I got to get some things together, you know? Then I'm going to come like, then you're never going to come. <laughs> and if you come, I'm going to tell you to repent of trusting in your things you got together <laughs> and trust in Jesus alone. Because that stuff, is, it can't save you. 
Don't, don't wait to get your life together. You can't get your life together. Jesus is the one who promises to change you and get your life together. So let me pray for us, then I'll explain communion, and we'll, we'll move on with our gathering. God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we have from this, Lord, that, that, that the work that you began, you will complete. Um, that you, that you, you don't just do something in our life and then leave us. You don't just kind of start something and then say, hey, now it's up to you. And God, I pray, God, for anyone here this morning who's really struggling right now and has a lot of doubts and needs to hear clearly your voice saying, what I began in you, I am going to bring it to completion. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not look to yourself. Don't think that a life of sin is going to be better than the life that I give you. God, I pray that you would protect your people, God, from believing the lies of the enemy. God, if anybody's tempted to go back to their life of sin, I pray this morning, God, that they would once again taste the sweetness and the goodness of what you began in them, what you're continuing in them, and what you will do to complete that work. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, In a moment, we're going to invite you up to come to take communion. You guys are going to play some songs, right, while they take communion? Is that how you guys do it? And um, so I just want to explain communion. Jesus, on the night that, uh, that he was betrayed, he met with his disciples in an upper room. And he said, listen, guys, I'm about to go to the cross, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set something up for you that you can do to remember me. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. And he took bread, and he's like, this bread, this represents my body that's, that's going to be broken for you. And this, this cup of wine, this cup, I don't know if you guys use juice or wine, probably use juice, right, Um, represents my blood that was shed for you. And and he says, look, I want you to do this to remember me. And so communion, or the Lord's Supper, is is a sacrament, what we call it, of continuing the Christian faith. The other sacrament that we would say is baptism. Baptism marks the beginning of the Christian faith. And so for those of you who are believers, we want to invite you in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, to come down and to take communion. You can take a cracker and you can dip it in the, in the cup there or you can take a little cup and you can take communion that way. And to remember that Jesus' body was broken. And this is a real thing, okay? One of the things that I love about communion is that we use real bread, we use a real cracker, real bread, real juice because Jesus really died. <laughs> and when you're, when you're holding the broken cracker in your hand, you can remember the broken body. When you see the red redness of the juice. You can remember the redness of his blood that really did flow for you. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, we want to invite you to come take communion. Um, For those of you that are not Christians, um, we want to invite you, if you want to become a Christian, you can come down and take communion as a step of beginning the Christian life. If you're someone who's, who's, who says, look, I believe this gospel. I want to follow Jesus. Like, I've heard what you said. I heard what you talked about, like, needing God and, and seeing that I'm a sinner and seeing that Jesus really died for me and turning from sin and putting my faith, that's me. Well, you, then, then, you're on a, then you're on a journey now. You're beginning a journey <laughs> with God. <laughs> and I want to I invite you as a Christian now to come take communion. And then come to talk to one of the leaders and tell someone, hey, I'm a Christian now, and, and the next step for you is to get baptized. Those of you that have kids, your kids aren't Christians, don't let them eat a cracker and drink the juice. It's not a snack, amen? That's not going to save them. The communion isn't going to save your kids. Instead, explain it to them. And as your kids get older, and, and when you see that they've made a real profession of faith, then you can serve communion to them. But those of you that, that they're not Christian, don't just give them communion. Amen? Um, explain it to them. So those of you that, 
So, so we want to we invite you to stand. Amen? Invite you to stand. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord, responding. Take some time to pray. Take some time to, if, there, if there's something that you have between a brother or sister, you need to get that right, Scripture says, before you come take communion. And then come when you're ready to take communion and, and, and worship the Lord and remember what He's done for you.